So I thought I was a healthy, middle-aged woman. I had two teenage daughters. I exercised regularly. I went on my exams, doctor health care checkups. And I thought it was, you know, healthful diet here. It was a month after a clean bill of health from my annual gynecological visit. I was diagnosed with late stage ovarian cancer. You have more power over your health than what you've been told. This is the Healthy Lifestyle Solutions Podcast, and I'm your host, Maya Acosta. I'm passionate about finding healthy lifestyle solutions to support optimal human health. If you're willing to go with me, together we can discover how simple lifestyle choices can help improve our quality of life and increase longevity in a big way. Let's get started. Before I introduce today's guest, I would love to read two podcast reviews that I recently received. One is from Andrea Will Woods, and she says, All Things Health. I love health and wellness podcasts and appreciate Maya's approach. Her interview guests have a range of backgrounds, and she creates a safe space for an open and interesting conversation. Thank you, Andrea. That is my whole goal, is to create a safe space And of course, I would love for people to come on and talk about various topics related to health. MD 728, and it's titled Great Show. Maya provides passionate and honest guidance on how to be the healthiest version of ourselves. Highly recommended for those wanting to take better care of themselves. Thank you so much for that nice review. I have made it even easier for you to leave a review. Simply go to this link. And it'll guide you and show you how to do it on Apple Podcasts. It's ratethispodcast.com forward slash HLS. I usually always at the end of every episode ask that you do a review. So this is the link that you would want to use and makes it a lot easier. So this is the month of June when we continue to celebrate cancer survivors. And today's guest is Sally Lipsky. She's a plant-based nutrition educator and author. Sally Lipsky had a successful career as a professor of education. However, a diagnosis of late-stage cancer changed her path. She began educating herself about the power of food to heal and protect from disease, thereby starting her journey into plant-based eating. She's the founder of the nonprofit Food for Health and leader of Plant-Based Pittsburgh, with a mission of creating communities of health based on plant-centered food choices. In this conversation, not only do we talk about her diagnosis in stage four ovarian cancer, we talk about her contribution to the We Did It Summit, which is coming up on June 23rd. And I invite you to visit my affiliate link and sign up for this summit, where you will learn better strategies and ways to speak with individuals as you help them come on board with this plant-based lifestyle. As always, a full bio and the links for each of my guests can be found on the website, HealthyLifestyleSolutions.org. I also invite you to visit my Instagram page. I'm having a lot of fun making reels and short clips of my interviews. And that's at Maya underscore HLS underscore podcast. And make sure that you subscribe. And I hope that you enjoy this episode. Welcome, Sally. Well, it is delightful to be here, Maya, really. 
I enjoy speaking with you, as you know. And I'm actually going to let our listeners know that you have been on the podcast before when I interviewed you last year. To learn more about you as a pod leader, you're part of the Pod Advisory Committee for Plant Pure Communities. So you continue to be active in helping to spread the word about the power of plant-based foods. Yes. As you know, it's a compulsion. We can't stop. Right. And you know what? Something that I did not add that is not in your bio is that you're sort of a contributor as well for the We Did It Health program. And so you're working behind the scenes with that. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that first? Yes. The We Did It Health that Peter Goldstein started is really a global initiative to just get people acclimated as an ambassador, those who have experienced the benefits of plant-based eating and know it and how often we want to just spread the word. But We Divid Health is trying to get the word out to others, but in a very kind, gentle, and way that is open and accepting. So we don't turn people off, be it that health of our bodies, animals, planet, all those different factors. So I'm working on, because I do have a background as an educator, So I am working on the ambassador curriculum that will be rolled out June 23rd in Cleveland, Ohio, or online in conjunction with the National Health Association Conference. Lots going on. And let me just clarify a couple of things. So we have had Peter Goldstein on the show. We've spoken about We Did It Health. We've had people like Dr. Angela Crawford who come on and talk about that psychology behind creating change and transitioning. She spoke to us about how we can support people. You're talking about the ambassador curriculum. And so for listeners who may not be familiar with that means, what is an ambassador? The way that I've heard Peter say and describe being an ambassador is just anyone who's helping to spread the message about the power of whole foods. Is that right? That is right. Someone who has been impacted and wants to tell others. And the training is not extensive, but it's fun. (laughs) And it is sort it's we're making it very friendly just to listen to Angela Crawford. And she has been with several guests doing three different recorded events and she wrote that beautiful ebook and the certificate is really the certification is on now how to apply it to try it out to go with some of those how do people change and then let's try it out with each other you know do some reflections doing some activities And feeling like you have some more tools in your back pocket. You're feeling a little bit more empowered so that when you talk about it with the word choice, it's huge. Your verbal, nonverbal cues that you're giving people. And what are the attentive listening things? So some real basic communication tools and some fun scenarios to try out. So... We have you to thank then for the curriculum. Like when I do this, if I participate in this training, you're the one that organized all this. You yes, put together this yes. program. It's going to be on the teachable platform. And it's then, and we're, as we said, we're going to really roll it out in person because it's always things done, learning experiences in a collaborative in-person 
setting is always so much um, enjoyable and it's a stronger learning setting. So that would be fun. You helped me to sort of redefine my title when I've said in the past that I don't have a background in healthcare. So I'm not a doctor, I'm not a physician, and I'm not a dietitian or a nutritionist. I'm not certified as a health coach. However, for me, also having been an educator, teaching people and really giving them access to resources is was very important to me. So I remember at the end of our conversation, you once told me, you're a health educator, health and wellness. And I said, that's it. That is really it is that I love learning. I love educating it. And I'm very curious about a lot of things. So I love researching. And as a result, I like sharing that information. And that's what you do as well. You give your pod in your area in Pittsburgh, you give them resources, you send out a very informative newsletter to your subscribers. So you're an educator. Yes, yes. It's a very high calling in its own way. Yes. So let's talk about your story, Sally. Tell us about your cancer diagnosis. And if you'd like, you can start from a little bit of your background. I've had other individuals who come on and say, I was doing everything right. And then I was diagnosed. When people think, I thought I was doing everything right also, because you make those decisions based on the information you have and the experiences that you have and the culture that you're exposed to. So I thought I was a healthy, middle-aged woman who I had two teenage daughters and I exercised regularly. I went on my exams, doctor health care checkups, and I thought it was healthful diet here. What they tell you, lots of calcium, low fat, cow's milk, yogurts, lean, chicken, fish. So it was a, and I'd like to tell listeners, it was a month after a clean bill of health from my annual gynecological visit, I was diagnosed with late stage ovarian cancer. So that was, needless to say, shocking for me. And as it is a shocking diagnosis of cancer, shocking to not most people, not everyone, but Yes. So I thought I had a urinary tract infection that wouldn't go away. And finally I had, I was fortunate enough to have a doctor who said, let's get an ultrasound and, oh, that's probably just a cyst. And then the blood work confirmed it immediately. And so the following week I had excellent surgeon and the standard round of chemotherapy. I went through that And about six months later, this was in 2008, I was always so nervous. Every checkup, every scan, every blood work, and went to an appointment in 2008, and they said there's no evidence of disease. So it was like, whew, okay. However, (laughs) it was a big however, the type of cancer that... I had, more often than not, comes back within the 24 months because it tends to be very resistant to chemotherapy. So, and I was still doing blood work every three weeks at that time. I was just waiting, waiting. I said, I felt like a ticking time bomb, waiting for the cancer to come back. And then 
several months later, I just happened to read an article in our local paper where the science writer was interviewing Dr. Shervin Schreiber, who wrote Anti-Cancer, just had come out, Anti-Cancer, The New Way of Life. He was a physician, a researcher and physician locally. He was working at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center and doing some research on that brain with a partner and somebody did not show up to have the the uh, scan done. So he said to his partner, I'll just do it. So just do the scan on me. And that's where they found he had a brain tumor. 30, I think it was 31, as I recall, seemingly healthy, but that led him and then it, it receded the, the, and then it came back. So the bottom line is he wrote this book. And I was reading this article and I had up to that point, never in my life considered the importance of food in health and disease, really. And so that's sort of like, whoa, I remember the day and time I was on a treadmill when I was reading that. And so it was like, whoa, my gosh, I've got to explore. So that's took me on the road to reading, looking at the research, going to, you know, T. Colin Campbell. Neil Barnard, all the work that had been done previously in regards to especially the cancer progression and the animal proteins. And so that I just kept on learning. I have to learn, have to learn. And what that translated into is the feeling, more feeling of self-control over this disease. And that is the power of whole food plant-based eating. You do feel nothing is foolproof. Proof, you can think, but if you're looking at the odds, the odds are it's reducing the likelihood. And here it's been 14 years later, and I have not had a recurrence. I have kept cancer at bay. So I think part of that is adopting a whole food plant based diet, among other changes, yoga, meditation, all those lifestyle changes that you make when you're facing this very serious illness. So I really am so grateful you look back at the China study and the work that T. Colin Campbell did and the difficulties he had to really get the truth out about this food. And so I felt as an educator, this is what I have to do. I have to, I started going to libraries, adult education programs, locally, anybody that would have me to just tell people, make PowerPoint queen, and did some classes, as I said. And in about 2014, the last class of a several-week series at our local adult ed group, a woman said to me, now what? And I thought, you're correct. You need support. This is a really a lifestyle change and you're swimming upstream, so to speak. So I started forming a local support group, and I had 12 people on my email list at that point. And then I started newsletter, and just things grew. And now we have over 3,000 people getting informed every month. So that's looking back, it just takes small steps and commitment and perseverance. And that as we said, that really compelling feeling, I want I need people to know this. 
So first, congratulations on being a survivor. Thank you. Two, I wonder how you feel about that word. That's a conversation that I had previously with Dr. Amy Commander about continuing to offer support and that some people perhaps may not like that word. Perhaps they prefer saying that they continue to thrive, they're thrivers. But what's your perspective in terms of how you see yourself today? Do you see yourself as a survivor? In regards to cancer? Yes. I mean, in some ways I say that because in some ways we all survive various difficulties, challenges, trauma in our own ways. But it is one of those common words that people understand in regards to cancer. And again, it helps me as a survivor Then, if I can tell my story and if I can get the word out using that word, sure. Yeah, I don't, it doesn't bother me. So when I was speaking with Dr. Commander, which is why I was interested in speaking with you, she talked about how it's important to continue to offer support for individuals who have survived cancer. So a lot of times when you're going through that experience after diagnosis, you have a team who support you and help you as you're going along this path of having your chemotherapy, of having your procedures done. And then you come out of it and you feel abandoned in a sense, left alone. Uh, And you touched on it right now when you said continued support is important. And not just the social aspect of having that support, but also continue to have tools so that you can reduce your risk for facing cancer for the second time. Can you talk a little bit more about how you have been able to find support as a result of you putting together your pod, or did you find groups that you were part of on Facebook? Initially, besides the medical team, and I remember that feeling when they said, oh, you're going to go from three-month checkups, now it's six months. And it was like, whoa, <laughs> six months, wait. And then they said, then when it came to a year, you only have to come once a year. It was like, what, really? <laughs> you're letting me go? <laughs> you know? Just like that, unsupervised, are you sure I'm okay? And I remember the nurse practitioner, Nora, who was, I just love, but um, she said, it's at the five-year point, go live your life. And it was like, oh, okay. So you start, because cancer is, when you're dealing, especially with a late stage cancer, it's every day you're thinking about it. It's in the back of your mind all the time. And slowly, as throughout the years, you sort of build up like, oh, I'm not going to say I'm completely relaxed when I get my blood work every year, but it's, I'm pretty, you get more and more confident that, and not just ovarian cancer, then all hormonals, the breast cancer that is so related to our, the casein, the animal protein. So once you look and you know about, oh, this is how cancer spreads. When you get this many grams of animal protein in you, those cells start to divide. As they say, if you're eating a really a plant-centered diet, you have changed the environment within you. It's not just that tumor that was excised. You have changed your whole, at the cellular level. You've made deep changes. I'm interested also in knowing what is the prevalence for women developing ovarian cancer and what would you recommend in terms of screening? You said you had a clean bill of health 
And then a month later, you were diagnosed. So that's the problem with ovarian cancer is that it's not easy. There's no one diagnostic tool that it's not through a pap smear because I was getting pap smears regularly. I hadn't gone through menopause. No, it was usually it is through these ambiguous symptoms. So sometimes women will feel bloating. Or they'll feel like, oh, I'm gaining weight through my abdomen. You're feeling some pain somewhere. In my place, I thought it was in, as I said, the urinary tract, but it wasn't. It was the tumor that was pressing and growing. Sometimes just changes in bowel movements. If it has spread to the bowels, then sometimes that is it. So... And it's not unusual for women to it take months to actually get a diagnosis because, oh, it's nothing or go see, just try this or try that, see another doctor, whatever. Hopefully in the last decade or two, they have become more aware, more advanced and more eager to test for ovarian cancer. There is a blood test called the CA125, and it measures the certain protein levels associated with ovarian cancer. The normal is under 35. When I was first diagnosed, it was 4,000. So it was like right away, oh, you know, yeah. But not everybody who has ovarian cancer, that blood test, it doesn't diagnose it for everybody. So they are working on ways to do that, but it is, yes, that is a frightening aspect of it, is how it can just creep up. Younger women who may have PCOS, do you think that they should take that into consideration of looking out just to make sure that they're getting the regular checkups to make sure that they're not developing tumors that which can then lead to cancer? Yes, absolutely. Endometriosis? Yes, that's there's an association with that. So I would, yes, ask for, bring it up. Can I get checked for ovarian cancer? Can I see, get the blood test, you know, or get the ultrasound? Anybody that's experiencing cysts, like ovarian cysts or cysts anywhere internally, yes, follow up. When you had your surgery, I don't know if I had asked before, but was this a full hysterectomy? Is that typically what is recommended to make sure that you eliminate the spread, for example? Yes, it wasn't. An, if it was in just a small encap stage one, they just take out the tumor. But mine had already spread to the abdomen and to my the lower bowels. So yes, it was a full hysterectomy, plus they had a resection the bowel and they couldn't actually get everything. There was a small spot on my abdomen that they couldn't get. Hey, the surgeon also took out my appendix. He said you might as well take it out while I'm in there. Right. Oh <laughs> I said, <God>. okay. <laughs> So how are you today? Because you said that at the time you were diagnosed, you had not even experienced menopause. So did this whole procedure kick you into early menopause? And how are you functioning today overall? Do you feel fairly healthy? Yes, yes, I am very healthy. You know, there is, as with when you have especially surgery, abdominal surgery, you never know repercussions years down. So 2014, I was getting lots of stomach pains and I knew it wasn't my appendix, which was 
physicians immediately thought it wasn't. And some of the other ruled out some of the other things. And finally, I was diagnosed because I was in, in and out of the hospital. It was a scar tissue, a blockage, a partial blockage of t- scar tissue. And that's a result. At that time, the physician said, we don't. Does it happen a lot? It can happen. You're not told, but a lot of times he said that's also a result of your, you're living a longer life. So the scar tissue is building up. And so I had to have surgery then, and I had a surgery again in 2019. So, um, but other than that, I'm good. I really am. So do you have a date that you, you know, where you acknowledge that you've overcome this this huge challenge. Well, I my date was February fourteenth, two thousand and eight. Fourteen. I that was a Valentine's Day. It was a Friday. I had my regular checkup, and that's when they said you have no evidence of disease. We're going to call you in remission, and it was like, oh, okay, yeah, okay. That I, you know. So yes, you do remember that. And then five years at my five year survivor time, I had a party. My 10-year survivor time, at that time, my um, book was just coming out. So that was just a really fun time to have a 10-year survivorship and and have that book in hand. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about your book. So who did you write this book for, Beyond Cancer, and where can people find it? Well, I initially, as I said, I was doing a lot of education with workshops, classes, presentations, and I would develop these educational materials. So people, cause I knew with my, edu- my um, background as a professor of education, I know the, and my specialty was how do adults learn? So I was taking all this material and sort of chunking it down into very readable handouts and whatnot and PowerPoints. And I thought, I've, I really want to put this in book format because as I said, people learn in a way that you're chunking down material, you're making it very reader friendly and you have to try it out. You've got to stop. You've got to add some reflection and make it very manageable because that's what I saw that there were many other books that weren't making it to the novice person who doesn't know it about it. It's, I want it streamlined. I want it very practical because that's it. If it's not practical, people aren't going to follow through. My audience originally, I thought this is going to be for cancer survivors, caregivers, family members. I had to personally dig for all this information. I had to dig for it. You sort of pull it out of various places, books, conferences, you know, websites. And other people shouldn't have to. So that's why I really dedicated the book to the other cancer survivors, many with I was on the journey with and unfortunately passed away. So I thought, wow, if only because you... This information, certainly in my and many people, it's not available in our healthcare systems. It's not available, certainly in mass media. We get so many. It's it's extremely 
confusing and most, you know, our healthcare practitioners treat the disease, but here we are back to the cause. It's a great point that you're making of taking uh, resources that you've already had been gathering and put them, putting them in a book format. It can be devastating to just have that constant worry. And and really, I don't know if, if sometimes people suffer sort of like PTSD or some sort of trauma after having gone through all that. There is, absolutely. And it's really rewarding. When I, as I said, originally this is for, I thought it's called Beyond Cancer. So, you know, it's like cancer. <laughs> There's a readership here. But then when, like the Amazon view, reviews that every once in a while I go look at, and, oh, this isn't just for cancer. This is for anybody. This is an easy, readable, manageable book for anybody who's making that transition into a plant-centered diet. So that's very fulfilling when you get, you see there's a broader audience than you even thought you could get. Your book has practical tips basically on how to do groceries. So you said earlier that uh, it could be for caregivers as well, or the individual who has survived cancer, but you give them tips. So if you're just starting off on learning how to incorporate plant-based foods into your life, this is a great an easy guide that you can kind of throw in your purse when you do groceries. Um, and then you have simple meals, you have tips on how to travel, which we know can can become very difficult. Um, anything else you'd like to tell us that we can find in the book? Well, the one thing that I mention in the book towards the end is the importance of support. Because I, I refer to a Humane Council, the survey in 2014, where they talk about 10% of the people who go vegetarian and vegan, the relapse rate is fairly high. And the main reason that they relapse is because when I say relapse, they just, they start, they start eating animal products. Okay. And the main reason that they do that is because they're feeling isolated. They are is a they're a lone person yeah. here among every other animal and meat eating populations, family, friends. So it, this can be very social, isolating, or made to feel in some way less than you're not. So I say find your support group, find your tribe, so to speak. And I look at, this is where Plant Pure Communities comes into effect. You can go online and see if there's a group near you. But with now, with there's so many online opportunities also. And in Pittsburgh, we do plant-based Pittsburgh. We do at least one cooking demo. We have guest speakers and we open up to anybody. Anybody can register for our events. So it is, or form your own support group, but it's really... It's really important to feel like reinforced, this is the right thing to do. I am doing this for myself. That's the other thing I say is own your identity as a plant-based eater. I love that idea, Sally, that you can create your own support group if you don't have one. I'm curious about your support group before, uh, you know, your pod, before the pandemic. I always have to say, I feel like I always have to say that. Yeah, it's the truth. You- 
<laughs> were you attracting people um, as well who are cancer survivors or going through a cancer diagnosis? Were you, did you attract in, individuals like that because of your own story? I Yes. I want to say yes, but they're they were in minority. The cancer survivors, because I used to do a lot of work with support groups, the cancer survivor support groups, like the National Ovarian Cancer Coalition. They had a local chapter. They still do. Some of the other cancer support got my word and name, and I'd go and there's a lot of pushback when these are people, some of them are still in, they're in active treatment, but that was a surprise for me is the pushback. I thought, wow, to me, this was the light bulb. I'm embracing this, as I said. But as we know, food habits are so, so ingrained. They're so part of people's sense of who they are, their relationships. And there's a big, huge psychological factor in it. It's not easy, let me say. When you're trying to spread the word, you're without a doubt, you're going to get pushback. It, it makes you feel good. You've got to, and maybe that one person will come back to you next time, like someone did. I just remember them and say, I just do all almond milk now. Like, okay. When you say pushback, was that from like the main leaders of, or the organizations? I called it the black hole. For I went to a brunch, breast cancer survivor brunch at a local, this is an example, at a local hospital had really ornate and you sell purses and they're doing, and they were serving it was a brunch, so they had sausage, they had um, sweet rolls, they had French toast with syrup and butter, they had one tray of fresh fruit, okay, they had bagels and white, okay, bagels, and this was, I don't know, maybe a half dozen years ago, and I never travel without food, that was another thing, I never go anywhere without food, <laughs> in my purse, in my car, in my <laughs> book bag, I, whatever. And that's okay for me because I ate, but I was appalled. I was appalled. If the money spent, this was a big fundraiser. And I wrote a email to the organizers and I very, I said that as a cancer survivor, you have to be very kind and gentle in your message, as I was always try to do. I would next year, oh, they, because someone had said it was cost-related to us, and next year it would be so easy to do some grain salads with bean. I will help you. I would be delighted to help you with that. So that's an example where you never hear back, and it's called that the black hole. Okay. I could go on, <laughs> go on and on. So, but yeah. an occasion you will get an, oh, I get a, you know, like once I wrote about the um, Woman Cancer Research Center and they had yogurt as one of the top five things to do. And I wrote and said, you know, this is, you should probably, there's a good chance it's related to breast cancer, ovarian cancer, these hormonal cancers and they did take it off the page. So, you know, just little things like that. And then there's a lot of the people you could are either, I can't, but I can't live without my cheese, you know, and, and then I try to counter it 
and give options um, because it is so, as Neil Barnard calls it, a block of carcinogen. But um, <laughs> I will never forget him when I heard him say that. Yeah, he oh was God, talking, so I think in Pittsburgh here, or maybe it was when I was in D.C., but block of carcinogen. It was like, whoa, okay. If you had to sort of give some words of encouragement to just someone who is undergoing a health scare related to cancer, do you have any words of encouragement? I want to say cancer doesn't scare me like it used to if you had 15 plus years ago, because I realize now, as you said, turning cancer development on and off, turning gene expression on and off. I realize the power of food and food choices in arresting, fighting, arresting, and in some cases, even reversing, like prostate cancer, even reversing cancer development. It is so huge, yeah. So when somebody says, like a friend of mine last year had very early stage some cancer. And I said, that's it. I'm not afraid of cancer. I, this is, you'll get through and gave her all this, you know, information support, but it is that sense of empowering yourself with the tools, the knowledge, and then just little by little, put them into place, whatever level that you can and want to really. That really stood out when you said that, that the more that you learned, the more that you felt like you had control over this rather than just a diagnosis and being at the mercy of procedures and treatments, you're, you're saying, okay, but there is something I can do. I now know that what I eat affects my health and everything else. Stress, that's a huge component. <laughs> Who's not living with stress nowadays? It's not going to mean that you're never going to have disease. That's not, yeah. Yeah, but it is going to affect your diseases, that, you know, some of those chronic diseases, your energy level, your, and then the other thing too is, it is the cognitive and emotional health that it also affects. It is a whole body way of approaching food. Do you have anything coming up? What can we expect with this curriculum that you've put together? You can go to We Did It Health and they have a waiting list. They're having it. Everything is sort of going into to play this week with the publicity for it. And it's not ex- going to be, it's a one day. If you live in the Cleveland area, you could, are driving, it's nine to five. Otherwise, it is you can stay at the embassy suites where it's other regular conference participants will be staying. That's why we stay. So that's very but readily done if you're around Cleveland or you know in the driver distance driving distance. I'm in Pittsburgh, which is two hours away. That or online. If you go to plantbasedpittsburgh.com, you can. If you have any questions, please. There's a contact button there. Please um, feel free. But we will be doing something in June on tomatoes at a local library we're going to be. Is there anything you can share with us about um, the summit that we did it is putting together? It will have a virtual component as well. Are you involved with that? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, the same information that will be in person, the same guest speakers, it will be recorded. So it will be a virtual option too. 
And as I said, the content will be put on our teachable platform. And then when people complete this certification, listen to the recordings, read some things, do some activities and reflect when they're done with that, they will get a acknowledgement that they are a certified, we did it health ambassador, whether I think that they're doing a badge, a certificate. But just like you said, though, and we, we've talked about it through throughout this conversation that um, people are at different levels of readiness. And it sounds like what you put together with the curriculum is that you're teaching people how to work with those different levels of readiness to help people come on board. If it's even worth your time. But to know if people don't want to hear it, you have to respect that for sure. Absolutely. Yes. Toughest part of being a plant-based eater is seeing your loved ones succumb to the chronic diseases um, and not being interested in putting the plant-based eating, adopting any of it. So, yes. So we know that, especially the friends and family that we're closest to, it's often the hands-off. They have to hear from somebody else. That is very, very true. I wish I would have learned that lesson early on in this lifestyle, because that's the the first thing probably that I would tell people when they come on board is don't go and try to convert and try to, you know, be, uh, be too aggressive with people because I can really put them off, like turn them off from hearing the message. And I feel like I was, but many of us are, we just want to create our community. And why wouldn't we want our loved ones to be part of that community? But uh, yeah, that would be the first thing that I would have wanted to learn is, okay, just be a living example (laughs) of of what this way of living does for your health and really your overall way of life and your perspective on life, how you begin to care about the animals and the planet. So if people are interested in learning more about you or joining your pod, what's the best way? Do you have a website that you'd like for them to um, visit? Yes, just plantbasedpittsburgh, one word. Dot com, And they will have, there's information about me, but plant-based, they'll also have the events. They'll have, um, we have a YouTube channel with all of our um, recorded events they can look at. We have free recipes, give away lots of free recipes on our website, it's newsletters that you can look up the index of newsletters. So We should also mention that you also interview other people. So you want to share with us real quick some of the guests that you've had on. We've had a number of physicians because it's it's always when you can get a member of the medical establishment (laughs) to say this, um, to talk from their perspective, it is adds extra weight onto it. Not literal weight, because we know plant-based eating, you're going to be a healthy weight. But um, yes. And so a number of physicians have been on. We did some of the themed topics. We did something on last year, a couple of years, we did something on gardening. So we had a local person who does a lot of gardening work present to us, mm-hmm. sprouting. We had a guest do sprouting. So some of those related topics, mm-hmm. the ones that, without a doubt, the people like the best is when we do, like last time we had a, a diabetes, I did the educational part with the PowerPoint. And by the way, anybody who signs up for our Zoom will get an email from me the following day with a link to the recording 
and the recipes because people want to see the cooking demos and the recipes. So try to combine some educational information with the recipes and they can watch the other person who I was doing it with me, Lulu, who was doing the cooking. I don't like to cook that much, (laughs) which is why I did my book on convenience and well, I'd like to keep it simple, too. And my husband, he's kind of like, what are we going to have for dinner today? You know, some people like the themed uh, meals. Is it Italian? Is it Chinese? Me, personally, I love to keep it simple. I don't mind eating leftovers. I don't mind combining things. I don't necessarily need a recipe. I just know, you know, what I like to eat. So I am in complete agreement with you on that, Sally, that it's just if we complicate it and try to have a different meal every evening, it's just not sustainable. Who wants that? I love leftovers. The more, the merrier. Use your freezer. I love putting it in a pool. I feel a sense of security when I have. I know that there's something you can pull out there. And you were talking about always traveling with food. And now that when we hit the road or somewhere, I think I travel with too much food, like I overpack food. But that's because you. It's kind of, it is like a safety net. Like you just want to make sure you're covered in case there's a situation. You always have something to eat. Well. This has been a pleasure, as always, Sally, speaking with you. I love hearing. I always love love those inspirational stories of when an individual overcomes something difficult. In your case, you know, having you know, living with ovarian cancer, being diagnosed, um, and surviving that, to then really creating something amazing like the group that you have in Pittsburgh and beyond, because now it's become virtual. Uh, it's always beautiful because I feel like. I feel like when you come from a place of uh, of being a survivor, that really can drive you and keep you focused, you know, for the rest of your life to have this purpose to uh, help others who need to hear the message. Yes. And yeah. you and you get you start aligning your priorities. Very true. Well, thank you, Sally, for being with us today. It has been such a pleasure, Maya. You've been listening to the Healthy Lifestyle Solutions Podcast with your host, Maya Acosta. If you've enjoyed this podcast, do us a favor and share with one friend who can benefit from this episode. Feel free to leave us an honest review on Apple Podcasts. That helps us to spread our message. You can also head on over to podinbox.com forward slash HLS to leave me a voicemail. Don't forget to subscribe. And as always, thank you for listening.